Welcome to Confessing the Faith, a podcast devoted to discussions concerning Christian doctrine and the Christian life. My name is Mike Tizia, and I'm joined today by Joe Anady. Hey, Joe. Hello, Mike. Good to be here with you. I'm yeah. excited to uh, yeah, I'm, jump into another subject. I'm beginning to look forward to these uh, recordings uh, more and more. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's, good. it's good to me. I, I enjoy the conversations, the challenges, and uh, yeah. yeah, it's good. I think I'm... I'm we're growing more comfortable with it, I think. So there's not so much angst. Mm-hmm. And also the more that I hear that people are listening, the more it motivates me to say, yeah, this is worth the time. So yeah, happy to be here. Yeah. Well, today we are going to talk about assurance. Um, this came up, how did this come up again? Can you remind me? Yeah. Let's, let's uh, talk about Well, that we just time. finished this, um, this series on Calvinism and, I think that came together pretty nicely, actually. I mean, a good thorough overview of, of what Calvinism is. But one of the one of the questions that I do hear sometimes is can um, can someone know that they are the elect? You know, we've talked a lot about the doctrine mm-hmm. of election, the doctrine of predestination. Um, can someone really know for sure that they are the elect? Maybe another way of stating the same question is: Can a person know that they are saved? Uh, so it came up, I think, as a natural, you know, next thing to talk about after that series on Calvinism. But maybe even more than that, I've just I've experienced this question from people uh, pretty frequently in pastoral ministry. I find that from time to time, you know, someone is really struggling with the sense of assurance. They they have these doubts. They 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 don't know for sure if they are a Christian. They don't know if they should know for sure if they are saved. You know, and um, yeah, so so I've found myself dealing with this question quite a bit as a pastor, and uh, I've also found that chapter eighteen of our confession is a very helpful place to go for um, answers to that question. And and so yeah, for those reasons, I think it's important for us to deal with it. Uh, Calvinism series and also just pastoral practical concerns that people have. Well, let's go ahead and explore that question. Is it possible for a person to know that they are saved? You know, it's probably helpful to come at this by talking about different views that have existed throughout um, church history, I guess, or within different traditions. There are some who would say, no, it's never possible for someone to uh, know that they are indeed saved without um, without a doubt. Um, so the Roman Catholic tradition has a strain like that within it that would say assurance is just impossible. You know, you're, you're never going to know. You just have to keep going, keep trying, keep working, and... Um, of course, that's closely tied to their doctrine of salvation. Their doctrine of salvation naturally leads to that answer uh, that you never really know. You have to keep keep working, keep trying. Um, there are some also who would say, yes, it is possible to know that you are saved, but that assurance is only va- available to some super-Christians <laughs> and only by way of supernatural, extraordinary revelation um, I'm not sure of all the places that that has cropped up, that view. Uh, also within the Roman Catholic tradition, I know, though, that, that some, um, you know, very special saints, very special Christians perhaps receive some sort of divine vision or revelation which assures them of the fact that they are indeed saved. Okay. But, it, it, you know, it's, it's just limited to a select few, evidently. Uh, that is another view. Um, perhaps on more of the opposite end of the spectrum, there are some who would want to say that, yes, assurance is possible. It is a, it is possible to know that you are saved, 
And in fact, if you are truly a Christian, you will have this unshakable assurance. Mm -hmm. And so that view would tend more in this direction to say that if you're ever doubting, that's actually an evidence that your faith isn't real or true. I would say that view is very uh, prevalent today Mm. in certain circles. You know, just this idea, if you're really a child of God, I mean, you're going to know it and uh, nothing's going to shake you if your faith is true, right? I I would think that this could lead to, you know, some, some fakeness within us too. You know, as we interact, if, if we believe this, you know, in our, in our churches and stuff could lead to some vagueness. Cause if you're doubting, then, you know, and this is the belief that you hold or that you're the people around you. Yeah. Hold, then yeah. You're, you're never going to let room, on. There's not room for that doubt or that. Right. You know, never admit that there's right. doubt, but in reality, it exists in some form or fashion in all of us at, right. at some time, you know, uh, maybe even in very severe ways. The fourth view is is this, that yes, it is possible to have this assurance, this sense of assurance, but it must be cultivated. You know, it must be developed. It's not necessarily an automatic thing as if when you have faith, you get assurance. And you have, and when you have assurance, it's proof that your faith. You know, it's not so tightly linked here, but rather, um, it is possible, and, and 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 Christians ought to be encouraged to pursue this sense of assurance. But it's not automatic; it has to be cultivated in some way. Yeah. And, and so, really, it, it's that fourth view. I think I've already made that kind of obvious. That it's that fourth view that is our view. Um, and, and I think a few things need to be said about it. Um, first of all, when we're talking about this sense of assurance, it needs to be said that there are some who have assurance who probably should not have assurance. Mm. Um, this whole episode here is not us saying, how can we make everyone in the world just feel really good about themselves, you know, in order to come alongside and say, you know, I just want to encourage you, friend, you know, uh, there's no reason to have any fear or doubt or worry whatsoever. You're you're all good. Uh, that's not at all the point. There, there are actually some people, quite quite a few people, who should not have a sense of assurance concerning their salvation. Um, but yet you, you run into that a lot today, I think, especially in our culture, which in some respects still consider, considers itself Christian. I think that's right. fading fast, actually. But you, you hear that a lot where people are just, you know, if you, if you talk to them about Christ, if you talk to them about uh, the Christian life, about obedience, they, they might respond saying, you know what, I'm I'm good. I'm okay. Uh, and they might have a whole host of explanations as to why they're okay. Uh, you know, back in 1984, I I walked down the aisle and I prayed a prayer. I'm good. You know, haven't been back to church since. My life is filled with sin and, and all sorts of things. But I prayed that prayer. So, I'm, so that person has assurance but should not have it, you know. Right. Um, there are other reasons that people have assurance. I, I, I'm all good because I'm an American, you know, <laughs> because I'm American, I'm a Christian, right? And Or I go to church twice a year or my parents raised me Christian or, you know, or or this is probably very common. I'm a pretty good person. I was just going to say that. You essentially know? good. I'm essentially good, so, so I'm okay. And yeah, I mean, what, what we're getting at here is that we want those who should have assurance to have it. But at the same time, we want to warn those who have assurance, though they should not have it, that they ought not to have it, that they ought to repent and believe in Christ truly and fully and from and from the heart. 
Um, so there are some who have assurance who should not, but there are also some who should have it who do not. In other words, assurance is not its not an automatic thing like we were talking about earlier. I think there are plenty of true Christians who have authentic saving faith, who are indeed justified, who are indeed adopted as children of God, who struggle with this. Uh, they ought to have the assurance, but, but they don't for a variety of reasons, which uh, we'll get into later. Also, I think it's important for us to say that common Christians can have assurance and ought to pursue it. It's not reserved for you know, super Christians. It's not reserved for those who you know, have received some extraordinary revelation. Uh, but instead, common Christians can have assurance, and the way to obtain it is through the due use of ordinary means. I'm actually using the language of our confession here mm-hmm. in chapter 18. Uh, that y- you don't need to climb to a high mountain and go to some special place, you know, and meditate for so many hours straight or whatever in order to finally receive the uh, – you, you don't need a vision, a heavenly vision to have this assurance. It, it, common Christians can have it, and the way to have it is through the due or proper and consistent use of ordinary means. And what are those? What are those ordinary means? I think traditionally the the ordinary means of grace have been identified as um, the Word of God, uh, partaking of the Word of God either through Bible reading, but I think even more importantly through the hearing of the Word read and preached on the Lord's Day in the context of community. Um, prayer is also an ordinary means of grace. The sacraments, too, are an ordinary means of grace, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Um, also, I think you know it's important for us to emphasize the importance of um, fellowship, uh, these things, though the individual, of course, partakes in them, uh, they're to really be engaged with in the context of the church and the ta- in the context of, of of community, if that makes sense. So by no means are we saying don't read the Bible privately or as an individual. Do that. That is a means of grace for sure. It's an ordinary means of grace. But it's important that you hear the word read and preached and taught in in the church, you know. Um, same thing with prayer. It's important for you to pray in your closet privately uh, throughout the day without ceasing, of course, but to pray with brothers and sisters in Christ. And then the sacraments, of course, I, I would say uh, those are actually not appropriate to partake of all by yourself. Those are sacraments given to the church to be administered by the church. And, and so when we use this terminology, the due use of ordinary means, we are saying that a Christian grows in the faith and is sanctified and is encouraged and even begins to lay hold of this sense of assurance as they just practice these these simple, common, ordinary things, you know. Mm-hmm. Over time, it's it's just it, – I grew up in a tradition at least where the, – the tradition itself, to be fair, did not really teach this. But it was just kind of this undercurrent here where I think a lot of people assume that if I'm going to grow in Christ, I need to go to camp. <laughs> I need to go to summer camp. You know, for, That's my perspective as a youth pastor. Or I need to get away to the marriage conference or I need to go on this retreat. And it's not that those things are – you know, bad. It's not that they are, um, uh, you know, not helpful in some way. I'm not saying that, um, but it's amazing how we constantly just overlook the ordinary, common, 
things that Christ has given to us and set our hope on other things that are not mentioned in his word. It's just, it's, it's strange the way we do that. Um, but yeah, so ordinary Christians can have assurance not by receiving some extraordinary vision or, or something like that, but but just as they walk with Christ in very ordinary and common ways and engage in the things that Christ has given to us, uh, that the hearing of the word, the, the, the application of the word, prayer, the Lord's Supper, baptism, um, in the context of Christian community. Yeah, I think that's where our faith grows and where our assurance grows strong yeah, is by engaging good. with those things. Yeah. Well, why do you think people lack assurance? What are those the main main reasons that come to mind? You know, I wonder if sometimes it's not that the individual has um, in some way misunderstood the gospel. It, it, see, there's no like cookie-cutter response to someone who's lacking assurance. You know, it's not as if it's always the same thing. There are a whole host of reasons. I mean, we're complex creatures, right? And it may be that we're struggling internally for a whole host of reasons, but one of them may be that the the individual is professing Christ, trusting in Jesus, but there's there's something askew, you know, in their understanding of the doctrine of salvation that needs to be straightened out a bit. Um, Maybe deep down inside, they kind of have this mentality that, I do have to earn my right standing with God. Maybe they would never say it in those terms, but there's something right. in the mind and heart who knows where it came from where that's that's really what they think, you know, that yes, I'm saved by grace alone through faith alone, but surely God can't love me if if I if I sin again or, you know. I think that would be a hugely popular like popular, not popular, but hugely widespread reason because mm-hmm. and there's something ingrained in us as humans that just even growing up as little kids, like things you do cause certain things to happen. You know, there are still consequences, but just you earn you know, you earn things in yeah. life. You that's yeah. that's how, you know, this world does work in a in a lot of ways. And so, so you yeah, you transit yeah. you transfer that to our understanding of salvation, perhaps exactly. just yeah. subconsciously without knowing. Yeah. So that might that might be one thing. Um I know that when people neglect the means of grace mentioned above, it doesn't go well. You know, you might be listening to this and, yeah, I hear my pastor say you need to be in church every Sunday. You need to read your Bible. You need to pray and um, you need to you need to hear the word preached and all of that. And pretty soon you can just kind of begin to shut off to that stuff. But it is important. I mean, when we begin to neglect these things, um, I mean, we, we are neglecting our spiritual food. And what happens if you neglect physical food for a day or two or a week or a month? I mean, you're going to start to feel the effects of it rather quickly. And, and, and in the same way in the spiritual realm, when we neglect these means of grace that God has given to us, when we neglect the spiritual manna, um, it's no wonder that we begin to feel the effects of that on our, on our soul. Um, it could be that an individual is just being tempted by the evil one very strongly you know, with doubt, um, with despair. Uh, So perhaps there is no real sin. Perhaps there is no real neglect, but yet there's just a time of temptation, a time of testing, you know, and and kind of connected with that, it may be that God is for a time withholding or withdrawing his countenance. That also comes from our confession, that language does, that, that God perhaps is withdrawing his countenance for a time, you know, that might sound strange, I think, to some, to think that God would ever do such a thing to his children. But I think sometimes God does allow us to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes he does allow us to struggle with uh, despair, 
uh, with doubt, not to punish us, not because he's cruel, but in order to teach us to cling to him more faithfully in the future. You know, that that's possible too. And, I, and I've had that where a brother or sister, they, I'm just, I'm struggling. Well, what's going on in your life? Are you, are you in church regularly? Are you hearing the word? Are you praying? Yes, 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 yes. Is there any sin in your life? You know, brother, no, there's no, there's no sin really. Nothing, nothing. I mean, there's always sin. You know right. what I'm saying? Yeah. But there's no like unrepentant, serious, yeah. blatant, unrepentant sin. Well, what's going on? Well, it may just be that the evil one is tempting and it may be that God is, allowing us to walk through that time of darkness again not to punish us or not to be cruel but in order to grow us up all the more um but quite honestly most often there there are sins you know in the life of the believer which lead to this um sense of despair and this lack of assurance mm-hmm. um this, this hopelessness that probably is the most common thing. Maybe the first one is up there. There's a misunderstanding of the gospel. But but more often than not, we'll find that in some respect, the brother or sister in Christ is really not walking in obedience to the commands of Christ. And there is this grieving of the Holy Spirit that's taking place. Um, and and uh, that the, there is this lack of, of peace and joy and hope as a result of that that sin that has not been repented of, you know. Yeah. Well, what would you say to someone who's lacking insurance? You know... Very depending on the, the situation. It really course. does. Yeah. I mean, it may be that as a pastor or as a... You might be counseling another brother or sister in Christ, you know, it, it, um, or another person. Let me just say that. You may sense that they might be in that category of someone who probably shouldn't have assurance, you know, so you're going to counsel in a particular way there. It, it just depends upon the person's situation, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I typically would assure the person that to lack assurance does not mean that their faith is not true. I would want to make that point to say that brother, sister, just because you're going through this right now doesn't mean you're not a child of God. It's possible to be truly a Christian and to still struggle with these. I'd want to reassure them with that news. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's that's comforting. Again, I'm not interested in giving people false assurance or false uh, groundless comfort, but if there's evidence that these folks are truly Christians, then I think it's appropriate to counsel in that way. I'd probably just begin by proclaiming the gospel to them, by reminding them of the good news of Jesus Christ, that it is um, by grace alone through faith alone that we have eternal life and that it's not based upon what we have done, but based upon what Christ has done for us in our place, that he has atoned for our sins, and that that, that gift of salvation in its entirety is received uh, by faith in him, by us trusting in Christ and not in ourselves. So that that's important, just to remind folks of the gospel. And then I would ask, are you trusting in Christ now? I think sometimes people, they look at the past and they go, um, I'm not sure if I really was trusting in Christ in the past, therefore I lack assurance. Maybe I didn't do it right from the beginning. Um, and so that they get kind of hung up on that. Okay. Yeah. Do, you, do you know what I mean yeah. here? 
well, that church that I was a part of that wasn't a great church. It was it was a decent church, and uh, maybe it wasn't valid back then. And I didn't really understand all that I understand now. And uh, boy, I did struggle with some sins over the past ten years. Do you get what I'm saying? Like it's almost like they go back to um, the moment they profess Christ, and they see all of these weaknesses and flaws and inconsistencies. And they begin to doubt their whole salvation. But it's really kind of a silly thing to do when you think about it because the question is not what happened in the past, but the question really ought to be, where are you at right now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I think that that whole, like what we talked about earlier, kind of ties into it, this whole earning thing. Yeah. Because I think we, we still, we hold on to those things or we can tend to have a, people can tend to have that um, tendency to, to hold on to things because you're, this is what I've, you know, put in the bank of, you know, yeah. my Christianity, yeah. you know, kind of thing as if that's how it works. But right. So it's kind of a, a strange way to go about it. But yeah, by looking at the past going, well, I really haven't done good enough. So now you have this, this mentality that you, you need to earn something. So are you trusting in Christ now would be a question after presenting the gospel to them again. And I would also emphasize this, that I'm asking, do you have not perfect faith, but true faith? It's a good distinction right there. It's a very important distinction because so often I think people look at their faith and they think to themselves, it's immature, it, 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 it's um, you know, not strong from time to time. I doubt, I, I worry, I, I don't really depend upon Christ as I should. So they spend all their time looking at the inadequacies of the faith without really acknowledging the fact that there is true faith there it, it it you know it may be small it may be undeveloped it may be immature but immature and undeveloped and small faith if it is true faith is still true faith right i think sometimes people just have this strange notion about what the christian faith actually is and what it means to be a christian they look around on a sunday and of course sunday is when everyone's dressed nice and well behaved and <laughs> singing song. Rightly so. I, uh-huh. I'm not saying dress poorly and misbehave in church. I'm not really advocating that. But what I'm saying is that when we encounter the, our other brothers and sisters in Christ in the context of a corporate worship gathering, we could sometimes get the impression that, man, everyone else has it together. They have this robust, fully developed, <laughs> mature faith that never wavers, but not me. I'm different. It's just not true. I think one of the benefits of being a pastor is you actually do get to see insights into people's struggles. A lot of people's struggles. I mean, that can be hard in some ways, I guess, but it's also really beneficial in that you, you begin to see that, man, even in, in Christ, even as Christians, we're we're flawed and we, we this is this is a journey. It's not easy, it's a battle, all that stuff is true. So are you trusting Christ now? I'm not asking if you have perfect faith, but do you have true faith? Um, and by true faith, I, I'm referring to um, faith in things that are true, the truth of the gospel, the true Christ presented in the gospel. Are you believing those things? Are you acknowledging that those things are indeed true? And are you trusting? Are you depending upon Christ and his gospel You know, for the forgiveness of your sins, for salvation? I would also ask, do you have a true love for God now? Again, I mean true but not perfect our love for God is always weaker than it ought to be, you know, even in the most mature of us. But do you have a true love for God now? Um, are you producing fruit and forsaking sin? You know, again, the idea here is that 
as a Christian, our life should be marked by repentance. It should be marked by a degree of holiness. There ought to be some fruit, some evidence that the faith that is in us is real, you know. Um, Again, we're not talking about perfection here, but a life that is marked by these things. Um, I would also exhort the person to pursue assurance, to say you don't have it now, so I'd comfort them with all of these truths, but I would say don't stay here in this place of hopelessness and despair, but get on it, pursue assurance, cultivate it in your life because Christ wants you to have it. Ultimately, he doesn't want you to stay here in this state of of, of confusion. You know? And by pursue, you mean through the order, ordinary means, as you stated earlier in that way. Right. I think that's the way to go about getting it. You don't need to, you know, climb up the Himalayas right. or anything like that. Have a mountaintop experience. Right. You, you, you need to just do these simple things well and consistently. Mm-hmm. While engaging engaging the mind and heart, I mean, it is interesting. You go to church every Sunday and just be on another planet sure, with, sure. In, in the mind and totally disconnected in the heart. And, of course, that's not going to benefit you anything, right? Um, so, yeah, engage in these things truly. Um, yeah. Well, what are some key scripture texts that speak to this issue? Right. You can help um, us along in that. You know, I think it would be good to walk through just any passage that presents the gospel um, to kind of address that issue maybe of there being a misunderstanding of the gospel in the individual. And even if there's not a misunderstanding, just to remind them of the gospel that they know uh, that indeed our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone and not, not of our own work. So I think of that Ephesians two, eight, nine for by grace, you have been saved through faith, you know, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I mean, that, that, that needs to be brought to the forefront. The interesting thing about Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is that it's followed up by verse 10, um, quite naturally, uh, which talks about the fact that we are his workmen created in Christ Jesus to, to do good works. So that's especially important when this issue of assurance is uh, being discussed. There's the reminder of the gospel, but there's also this, this truth that it's not that we work for our salvation, but it's that our salvation is to the end that we would also work, right. you know, that, that right. we are we are Christ's workmanship and we are created in him to do good works. And so in the moment that you encourage somebody from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 to trust in Christ alone and to not trust in yourself, you can also go on to verse 10 and say, but look at brother, look at sister, you are to be obedient you are to serve the Lord. You, you are to do these things. This is what the Christian life looks like. And if that is lacking, then you're being negligent in some way. And it's no wonder that you're struggling with doubt because of your negligence. You know, I, I think of the passage in James 2, which addresses the issue of uh, faith and describes to us what true saving faith looks like. In verse 14 onward, uh, James makes the point that faith without works is dead. It seems to, in some ways, contradict what Paul says elsewhere about us being by, saved by faith alone and not of works. Um, but in reality, there's no contradiction here. It's just that James is um, fleshing this issue out a little bit more. Right, like when he says, uh, I will show you my faith by what I do. It's like just the, the right. idea is that, that his faith is being 
revealed by right. the actions that follow. And he even uses the word justified in a different way than Paul uses it. Um, Paul insists that we are not justified by works, and James says we are justified by works. You go, what in the world are these men doing? But you have to realize there are a variety of uh, um, appropriate uses of the word justified. In Paul, he's referring to the fact that we are not saved or declared not guilty by our works. But in James, he's referring to the fact that uh, there is a sense in which our works uh, justify us in the sense that they prove that our faith is true. Mm. Our works, in a sense, demonstrate that our faith is true. So when Abraham uh, went up on that mountain to sacrifice Isaac in obedience to the command of God, which that's a whole other story for another time that needs to be explained, right? But he was, in a sense, justified by that. He had already been justified, declared not guilty by faith before, earlier in his life, but that that act of obedience was a confirmation, right? It was a, a, an external um, display of the reality of the faith that was already within him. Um, and so... That needs to be brought out, I think, uh, that if we have true faith, it's going to produce works. It's going to produce obedience. And the thing that works and obedience does for us is it, it confirms that the faith in us is true. So if there is no, if there are no works and there are no obedience, then it's no wonder that maybe we're struggling with the idea that maybe our faith is not true. You know, the faith may be true, but because of our disobedience, it's no wonder that we're struggling with mm-hmm. the sense of assurance about it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, and, and so, yeah, let, let's remind people of the gospel. It's all Christ. It's not us. It's about trusting in him, but true faith in him is going to produce works. It's going to produce uh, fruit. Um, there are many other passages that you can go to, I think, to talk about this issue, issue of assurance, but I mean, quite honestly, the best place to go is First John. Uh, it seems that the whole letter is really written for the purpose of cultivating this assurance or or, or uh, confidence or hope within the life of the believer. Um, you can go to First John five thirteen, and John just flat out says, "I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God." that you may know that you have eternal life. So he's writing to people who believe. He's writing to believers, but he's saying, I'm, I'm writing all this to you that you may know, that you may have this sense of assurance that you actually have, that you actually possess eternal life. So that's near the end of his epistle, but uh, even in chapter 2, verse 3 of First John, he says, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So he's just he's just very directly dealing with this issue here in this epistle. And by this we know that we have come to know him. By this we have this assurance or this confidence that we indeed know Christ if we keep his commandments. Notice it is not the keeping of the commandments that earns our salvation by no means, but in some respect the keeping of Christ's commands confirm that we indeed know Christ, that we are indeed his, that he is indeed Lord and He and we are his servants, you see. Um, let me point out a few other um, verses in 1 John. 1 John 3.14, for example, says, 
We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Okay, so we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. It's another evidence that our faith is true. So for the, for the person who says, I'm a Christian, and I have this personal, private faith, but I do not love the church, I have no desire to be with the brothers or the sisters, ought that person to have assurance? I would say no. They might have assurance, but they probably should not because one of the evidences that indeed a, a person is indeed a child of God adopted into the family. Do you hear the corporate familial language here, right? Adopted into the family of God is that there is love for brothers and sisters in Christ, mm-hmm. a, a love for the broader church. Um, it's one of the evidences that we are indeed in Christ and united in by faith. We have love for the others who are uh, united to Christ uh, by faith. Um, 1 John 3.18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but indeed in truth. And so this love that John is talking about is to be displayed not just through talk, oh, I love the brothers, but actually indeed and in truth, we're to do good to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're, we're to um, speak truth to one another and believe the truth in our own hearts. And then in 1 John 3.19, just a verse later, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. Do you hear that language there? So this is how we know. This is how we have this sense of assurance. This is how our hearts are reassured as we obey the commandments of Christ, as we love the brothers and sisters in Christ, as we love not just in word but also in deed and in truth. These things uh, reassure our hearts concerning our true knowledge of Christ. Um, 1 John 3.21, just a little bit later, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. That is what John is after here, that, that our hearts would not condemn us, but that we would instead have confidence. 1 John 3.24, Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. And so this here begins to speak to, I think, the inward witness of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit testifies to us that we are indeed children of God. Um, and so the, these other things that we have mentioned might um, be, be referred to as kind of objective evidences of our faith. We can kind of examine our life and say, am I, am I walking in a, in a way that's obedient? Yes or no. Am I loving the brothers, not only in word, but also in deed and truth? Yes or no. It's kind of objective. Like you can just, you, it's almost as if you can measure it, you know. But there is also this kind of subjective evidence. And by that, I mean this inward witness of the Holy Spirit where he just kind of confirms within our hearts that we are indeed children. It, it, it's a spiritual, perhaps more of an emotional, subjective experience that we, we have uh, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Does that, does that make sense what mm-hmm. I'm saying to you? I think both of them are important, the objective and the subjective, um, but they're, they're both important. Um, yeah, so I think First John, especially chapter 3, um, but even in chapter 2, verse 3, is a very important place for us to go. The real issue, I think, is hope. That seems to be at the heart of a lot of this, that Christians are to have hope, not meaning wishful thinking, 
oh, I hope that I get this for Christmas, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. But like a, a real substantial, confident, living hope. Uh, th- 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 this, th- this hope that says, yes, I, I am indeed a child of God and no one can take that away from me. Right. Uh, that's really what we're looking for here. And that's really what Christ gives us through his death, burial, and resurrection as we trust in him. Um, the, the, the one other passage that came to mind before I think we conclude is First um, Peter 1, uh, 3 through 6, which says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. So what if we've been born again to? Not to doubt, not to confusion, not to despair, but to a living hope, a hope that is alive through not our obedience, not our own good works, but through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. The trials here I think are referring to ex- trials that are external, pressing in upon us mainly. Uh, but but just, I don't know, I, I, th- I think of the language here. It's a, it's a living hope that we are to have. It's something that we are to rejoice in. Um, our salvation is sure. It's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, not because of what we do or don't do, but because of Christ, because of his resurrection. So ultimately, that's what I would want to set people's minds and hearts to is the gospel, the reality of what Christ has done for us. Um, and so, yeah, ultimately we're trying to cultivate hope, I think, in, in the life of believers. If there's sin, if there's rebellion, if there's unrepented stuff in our life, then it's no wonder that we're struggling, guys. So so repent of the sin, turn from it. By this we know that we know him if we keep if we keep his commandments. Mm. Yeah. That was good. Yeah, I hope it's helpful. I mean, um, if you're listening to this and you are struggling with assurance, I would, I'm glad you listened to it, but I would really encourage you to talk with someone. If you're a part of Emmaus, talk with me, talk with another brother and sister in Christ. That's important. If you're a part of another fellowship, go to your pastor and discuss this issue here. But uh, it's an important Assurance is important to have. So it's, it's important. Good. Yeah. 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 Common Christians can have it. It doesn't necessarily come with faith that it's not automatic it needs to be cultivated make use of the ordinary means of grace yeah thanks for tuning in to this episode of confessing the faith and again we hope you're encouraged to to pursue assurance and until next time abide in christ mm-hmm.